1: streaming and 3CR digital, podcast or audio on demand. And of course, the website, SolidarityBreakfast.org.au. Solidarity forever! Good morning
0: everybody, this is Annie for Solidarity Breakfast. Uh, We're going to go straight, because we're a little bit behind, we're going to go straight to the public housing or the public housing defence committee event that happened In Debney Park in Flemington on the fifteenth of October. Now you've probably aware if you've been listening to the program, but if you haven't, we'll give you a quick update that the uh, government is expect the Victorian government is uh, has designed a system called uh, renewal for the public housing sector, which actually, as people describe in this report is really just privatisation by stealth. But we'll get uh, some of the uh, people who live in public housing to tell you a little bit about how it affects them and then we'll go on and hear from some speakers who came there on that day. It was pretty well attended, actually. So here we go.
4: I'm Howard Morossi. I'm with Defending extend Public Housing Australia, Friends of Public Housing Victoria and the Public Housing Coalition.
0: We're out here today at Debney Park for saving public housing event. Can you talk
4: to it? Sure. So um, this has been organised by by the Public Housing Coalition um, where the main thing we're fighting at the moment is the redevelopment plans of the State Government. So the State Government's planning to um, uh, knock down all the walk-ups, walk-up public housing units on about nine um, estates in the inner city and middle middle suburbs, um, plus another two on top of that, outside that announcement. Uh, They're going to knock those down and sell off about three-quarters of the land for private development, for private housing. Um, and the other quarter will almost certainly be not public housing when it's rebuilt, but it'll almost certainly be uh, what's called community housing. Now, the
0: government's obviously washing its hands of its responsibility.
4: Yeah, well, <coughs> it pretty much is continuing the trend um, of the last 25 years or so since Jeff Kennett. The trend has been to... Uh, well, basically what they're doing now. It's called the Kensington model. It's what was done in the Kensington housing estate, starting with Jeff Kennett just before he lost office in about 98, 99, um, and then continued by the Labor Party under Brax, uh, where they did something similar to what they're proposing now.
0: So what they're doing is normalising something that's actually uh, really uh, not useful to people in general.
4: No. Well, it's certainly nowhere near as useful as public housing is. Public housing is a much better option than um, community housing, for one thing, uh, in terms of rents that the tenants pay. The rent's fixed at 25% of the tenant's income. They have security of tenure, which they don't have in community housing. And also um, everyone that gets on the list who's of a certain income is actually able to get into public housing, which is not the case with community housing, which tends to cherry-pick. And, of course, the other option is uh, privatised housing, which is just... I mean, everyone knows it's ridiculous as an option. It's not an option... Um, in terms of government responsibility it's there's no government responsibility being taken into when you when you sell off government land for um, for uh, private housing
0: has there been any thought to uh, the connect, connection between developers and government
4: yeah well that's obviously there um, That was definitely there in the Kensington housing um, development Kensington was actually um, the, the building work was done by Beckton and Becton then took over the management of public housing which I think is, is now done by another company which was taken over um, after it was sold off by and something like that. But as you can see, the connections are still there. I mean, everyone knows that government, when, when ministers and premiers lose office, they go and do work in the private sector. You can join the dots.
0: Martin Foley makes out that uh, this is a win-win situation, you know, that they're solving the public housing or the uh, homelessness problem by doing these kind of deals.
4: Well, he's right, it's a win-win, but it's not a win-win for public housing tenants, it's not a win-win for private tenants, it's not a, it's not a win-win for people who want to own their own home either. Um, it's a win-win for um, ideologues in the government who believe in privatisation, and the other part of the win-win is a win for the developers. Thanks,
0: mate. Thanks, Andrew.
3: Can you tell me why you've come out today? Because I've got a strong belief in public housing, and I'm really worried that the government is actually privatising and they're handing over public land to developers and the, their story is this is a 10% increase in housing which actually is a small number when you do the sums and it's not going to be public housing, it's going to be social housing which has very different conditions so that's why I'm here. Thanks very much. Tracy uh, can
0: you tell me why you've come today?
5: Um, well I heard on PBS that they're um, going to uh, privatise public housing and um, if like... Uh, Pol- uh, powers and poles are like anything to go by like um you know with the electricity oh uh, you know, like uh, we can't really like leave it up to the government to like sell it off I reckon you know thanks very much cool.
0: yeah. I'm from three CR sure, yeah. yeah can you tell me why you've come out today
5: yes I'm very concerned about the state government's intention to sell off public housing to developers because um, the uh, once the land's sold, it's sold for good, I think the the return the government's expecting from the developers in terms of increased public housing is too small to justify this drastic just step.
0: Um, had you considered uh, the uh, fact that the Labor government got in after a rapacious developer government and that maybe this is their way of resolving the issue of private enterprise uh, allowing them to govern.
5: No, I hadn't. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I certainly think it's a retreat from labour values of twenty, thirty years ago, and I think the state government is running the risk of being moving so far away from community values that it'll hurt it at the next state election.
0: The, the other question is the uh, ongoing neoliberal approach. Uh, it's actually worn out its welcome, it's but can yeah yes. but they're continuing with it.
5: Yes yeah it, um, it seems that each of the major political parties, when it 's in opposition, gets close to the community because it needs to to get voted back in, but once it 's back in office it just lets itself be wooed entirely by the big lobby the lobbyists for the big groups and just forgets the community and it 's an unfortunate cycle we 've seen in victorian politics.
0: I in Tennant... Are you a public housing tenant? Can you tell me why you've come here today? Are you worried about what's going on?
6: Uh, okay, it's a few things i really concerned about is uh, how the housing now they will uh, is going into demolition and it's a uh, thousand, thousand people um, at the moment we don't know what will happen because they know security Q us to come back to to the yeah, is the rebuilding. We know with we, we not have any. Uh, we don't know what will happen, and also the information is not being uh, very clear. Yesterday I just arrived, received a call from a company, building company, and they want to meet me. Uh, between 8 and 9, but they don't explain why and who they are. And also, uh, why are they coming to you directly? Uh, well, housing, uh, the public housing, they say they will come in people on September. Nobody can on September. They send a for a public meeting. And we went there, and they canceled the meeting. But the people didn't know. We arrived; nobody showed from housing. So, from uh, August, uh, July, or something like that, we had one, two meetings where I can go because I'm working. But uh, the information is not clear, and also, and also we don't know how long it will take to rebuilding, and who will. About uh, who, who the people will come come back? Because they say. Are it. you going
0: to get your house back? Yeah. You mean?
6: How is seventy percent of the land is going to private? Yes. And 30 percent only for housing.
0: But at the moment, it's a hundred percent for public.
6: Yeah, hundred percent. And the government say it's increased. It's not increased. Is seventy percent is gone? The land is going to private. Uh, so how all this thousand people who some of them don't work and some work We, I pay rent all my life I work and I pay my rent but we don't have security and they should be protecting public housing Australia is a big country and it had a lot of land and it been neglected for a long time and they should be built in different other housing, and we not had this problem now. But the uh, the premier Victoria uh, Andrew, he should be support public housing, and she, he should be working with the people, for the people. When are they expecting you to leave? Uh, they don't uh, still we don't know. Uh, in the fair meeting, they say end of the year. So, what?
0: That's a great Christmas present.
6: Yeah. So we don't know. Uh, we know had date, and we don't know where we going. They say we had option, two option to choose for saver. but the Saber I want to shoot also is going into demol- demolition. So like Carton, Norcot, Clifton Hill, North Melbourne, Flemington, Ascot Vale. And another suburb So it's not only one suburb. if you one or two, you can choose where to go, but where are we going?:
0: Thanks very much.:
6: yeah, And the rent in Australia is so expensive, and they should be uh, put a limit less, because we know end a lot of money. And it's hard to pay the rent. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Uh, you're affected by, you're a public housing tenant? Yeah,
7: I'm really disgusted with what uh, the government doing. It's uh, shameful what they're doing. Depriving all the, all the tenants uh, from their housing and their uh, community and their accommodation. I'm really disgusted with, uh, with the government.
0: How long have you been living in public housing? Uh,
7: over 30 years.
0: Oh, so this is a big relocation.
7: Yeah, it's like a family. We're all big family. It's not uh, not not a community, just big family, Be one big family.
0: Has the government? Uh, uh, have you been to any of the consultation things?
7: We haven't been approached well by anyone yet. We just we just waiting, but we have to fight for it. Thanks. I'm from
0: 3 CR. Do you want to tell me um you're a public housing tenant, don't you?
8: That's right, yes, I am. And you're affected by this? I'm a, everybody's affected by this and I know not to have the way things I'm not happy the way things are going, where the government's lying to us and I'm finding out things that, um, they might deny, but I believe what the Greens say that they would hand us with me a pencil other ah, week ago to how they want to sell off most of the development. And I, I got talking to Danny Pearson, a local member this year, about when they sent us a letter in two thousand sixteen about how they're uh, going to do this and do this flat up and stuff like that. Well, I went to him and I had to talk to him, but he didn't tell me anything I wanted to know. And then I had to talk to there's another woman who works for, for him and I was saying how they're going to do this and they're going to really like us. Well, after all, I started thinking about, I don't want to move at 66 years old. I want to stay where I am. I had to fight for the stay in the flat in 2013 after I lost my mum, because I moved in with her in 2010. And because I still work... To me this is discrimination where a person still works at these age and earns a bit of money which they class as too much and then say, oh you, you might have to get out. So my younger sister helped me get together, she helped me write this letter, she came to me with VCAT and the judge says she's going to stay. Now that my, my life feels like it's up in the air again because they're saying, oh we're going to relocate, we're going to do the flights up and stuff like this and we're going to knock them down. Uh, oh, and then they're saying deny, are. So oh, the land's not going to be sold. But the Greens say it is going to be sold off. And I, I believe what they say.
0: Oh, yeah, no, they're going to give um, yeah. over public t- title to public land to yeah, yeah. developers.
8: Yeah, well, they're denying it. They're denying it. They say it's not going to be. They say it's not going to be sold off. They're not telling us the truth. When I spoke to this woman a long time ago mm-hmm. on the phone about how I didn't want to move out the flat when I didn't want to move into the high rise flat, her answer was, her crack muck was, oh, are you a Heights? That's not the issue is. The issue is I'm comfortable where I am and they don't care about personal issues of anybody. All they care is what they're doing. They can't speak for people because they don't know how we feel and how we think. They can't speak that. It's like I say I know somebody else. I really don't know that person unless I know what's going on in their head. Are you glad that a lot of people have come out today? I'm very glad you came out today and I'm very glad I'm here now because um, I've to this bloke a ago who interviewed me that they'll have to drag me out the flood. I'd rather step in front of a truck than to move it. to move the flat where I am. I'd rather end it.
0: Oh, thank you. Thank you.
5: Hi, I'm Aaron Patterson, and you're listening to 3CR.
0: Yeah, you're on Solidarity Breakfast with Annie, and I went down to Debney Park, an event uh, Public Housing Defence Committee put on. Uh, their next one is going to be at uh, Walker Street Estate in Northcote, Saturday, the 4th of November, 1pm. Let's hear what the... Uh, w- uh, some of the speeches, what some of the people said.
1: This rally is occurring on the stolen land, uh, this is the land of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. Uh, this land was never ceded um, and we pay, pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging. It's really important that people are out here today. The state government doesn't want us to be here. The state government tried to stop um, activists leafleting these estates about this issue. Um, The state government doesn't want anyone to know uh, what their plans are for public housing. Um, We're here today to say that we do know what their plans are and we're opposed to their plans. They use a whole range of weasel words to sort of disguise what they have on the cards. Uh, They talk about social housing and we talk about public housing. Uh, They talk about renewal. Uh, We call it privatisation, gentrification and we call it a sellout. So what is actually on the cards is uh, in 11 estates across uh, inner city, inner suburban Melbourne, uh, the government wants thousands of those tenants who live in those estates out, forcibly evicted and out of their houses, out of houses that for many of the people who live in them uh, have been the first safe house that they've lived in for years, for many of the children that live in them the only house that they know, thousands of tenants the government wants out and then what it wants to do is it wants to bring developers in. It wants to knock down the estates and it wants to build thousands of more houses. Not thousands of houses for those tenants to come back to, not thousands of houses for the people who are on the public housing wait list, 35,000 of them to live in, but houses for developers to sell off for a profit. Shame, It's outrageous. There's a housing crisis in Australia. Uh, there's a shortage... Of affordable housing, there's a critical shortage of public housing. What there's not a shortage of is crappy private apartments. And thousands of them will be built on public land if the government gets its way. So we've got a really uh, fantastic lineup of speakers today reflecting the diversity of the opposition to the government's plans. Um, and we will kick it off with Neville, who is a tenant on the uh, Grand Place estate in Brunswick West. Neville?
9: Come here. Come here. First of all, thank you very much for all coming. Now, I have been at Grand Place for approximately 30 years, on and off, and as far as I'm concerned, it's the housing for all the single mothers that are there. We've got 90 children on the estate, and all the kids, they are magnificent, but they all frightened. A lot of people couldn't come today because they're frightened of losing what they've got. Some have been there years, some have only been there months. But they know that their children are safe, and this is what I'm here for today, to represent Grand Place, and to make sure that if the worst comes the worst, I will actually chain myself to Grand Place and make sure that they will not take us by force. So this is the main thing. I've got at least 10 to 15 people who are gonna back me. There's elderly pensioners there, they are sick to their stomachs, and this is no good, you know. Something's got to be done, so I agree to do this for that one reason. I'll make it quick, but the main thing is, it's not a house, it's our castle. Now, I'll use this person as Singer Bob. Every person that's come to see me has got the same problem. They are so distressed about leaving what is classed as their castle. Not their home, their castle. And I said to them, if the worst comes the worst, we're supposed to be getting people next week to come and see us. They can come and see us all they like because we're there for a reason. We pay our rents. We mind our own business. At night time, the place is secure. There's no more drugs in the place. Years ago there was, but now it's all clean and the kids are our main concern and the single mother's. So that's all I wanted to say. Hopefully today or next couple of weeks things will be done and I I really appreciate everyone coming here today. They've done a mighty job and I'm very, very impressed. Thank you very much.
1: Thanks very much, Neville. Up next we have uh, Egal. Egal lives in the um, North Melbourne estate uh, on Abbotsford Street which is targeted for uh, renewal. Slash privatisation. He's opposed and he wants to tell us why.
10: Hello, my name is Igal, and um, I live in the Abbotsford Street estate Uh, and um, sometime last, I think this year, April, they came to us trying to make the whole thing seem like um, they're renewing the... The, uh, the estate for us. But um, down the road, we learned that it's just pretty much privatizing. Um, they asked us what we would like to have built. And uh, I don't know if you've seen it. We've got a massive green um, area in the middle. It's got a playground. Summertime, it's buzzing with life. Barbecues, kids, everyone playing. And uh, we put that into the cards they gave us. Also, the other thing we asked them was to keep the community garden, because it brings the elderly community together. It's a social place for them. Um, Fast forward to August, we had a meeting with the Department of Human Services, and everything we put into those cards were just thrown out of the window. And what we got is Dockland's apartments, in our estate, and when I pressed a little bit and asked what was social housing, why isn't it public housing, the guy from the human services didn't have an answer for me. He came up, "Oh, it's an umbrella that puts private, public, and some other stuff together." And um, I asked them what what was the plan for families when I um, when I found out it was only two to one-bedroom apartments that were to build. I said, what happens to the families? And what I was told was, oh, we'll make sure these families get three-bedroom houses somewhere else. For me, I got an anaphylactic child. He goes to the school around the corner, and Children's Hospital is around the corner. I'm not interested in mansion in Turak. I'm interested in my little area where I feel comfortable. And... Um, And a couple of meetings later, we got together with the residents and some of the local neighbouring house owners and um, the government is not going to tell you we're going to privatise everything. They're just going to dress it up something else and sugarcoat it and try to sell us out. But um, I'm planning to stick around for a long time. they, they can take me by force or they can call the police on me, I don't care. But I'll make sure that I'm heard and I'll make sure I put my points across. And thank you for everyone for coming and supporting us. Thank you.
1: Okay, up next uh, we have uh, Adam Bent, uh, who's the federal member for Melbourne, um, and Ellen Sandel is a state member for Melbourne and the housing spokesperson for the Greens. Um, the Greens have a long history of working with public housing tenants, um, in particular in this campaign they've been uh, centrally involved and it's important and rare to have politicians speaking up in support of public tenants, so uh, we support them and we thank them for being here today.
11: Thanks everyone, thanks for having us. I want to acknowledge the traditional owners and pay respects to elders past and present. I'm the local member for this area, and I also live 200 metres that way. And one thing I think that um, simply has not got through to the government who's pressing ahead with this proposal is that we're not dealing just with um, tenants, we're dealing with people and their homes and their backyards, right? That's what this is about. And at the moment, at the moment, let's be blunt, this is the state Labor government looking at public land in the inner city that the public owns, and only seeing dollar signs and thinking how much of it can we sell off to private developers to build 15-storey dog boxes on that we can flog off to the highest bidder. And this is not about making public housing residents' life better. This is about the state government making as much money as it possibly can. And you only have to... You only have to look at the development that's proposed here what they're prepared to tell us about it anyway. You only have to look at the development that's proposed here to see that this dressing up, that this is somehow something to do with addressing the 40,000-odd waiting list that we've got at the moment is a complete farce. It's a complete farce. Because what? What? it's hard to get exact information because the government is currently seeking an approval to bypass the formal consultation process and have the right to sit down with the developer and nut out a final plan for this area and the others, but for this area in particular. And the first that we will find out about what it actually looks like, the final decision, is when the government and the developer have agreed on it, and it comes out at the other end, and we'll have no appeal rights. Right? Oh. That's that's there in at the moment. We were before the a number of us were before the planning tribunal the other week opposing that because the government wants the right to decide all of this in a closed room. They've had to let some information out. And the information that they've let out at the moment about this, and I want to talk about what's happening here at Flemington just in a little bit of detail because it symbolises what's, what's in store for elsewhere, is remarkable. At the moment, they're proposing the walk-ups that are over there on that side of the estate. The walk-ups will all go, to about 200 walk-ups will go. And they're saying that they'll, they'll, they'll then build... 220 to take their place. Not necessarily walk-ups, not necessarily of the same number of bedrooms, but 220 units to take their place. So 20 more units at best. And they won't necessarily be public housing, they might be social housing, as someone has said. 20 more units at best, and we don't know whether they're going to be in the same size or when they'll be built, and they're likely to be in a a high-rise version of their own. Then on the remainder of this land, as you look around and you look at the space between the towers that's currently being used for basketball courts, people are parking their car, you'll see kids running around. Just just have a look over there, you see it all the time. It's a very, very porous place where people are quite happy to leave their kids to go and play with kids from other places and use this whole area. Between these buildings will be new high-rises and to complement the 20 new social housing units that the government, out of the goodness of its heart, is giving us, there's going to be 825 new private developments. 825, right? So this is not about improving the walk-ups that we all know could do with a bit of work. And there are some people who live in the walk-ups and say, oh, look, if there was a better place, if you're prepared to do up the walk-up, I'd love to live in a better place. And I think everyone here would accept that... um, That maintenance here and on many places is pretty low and one of the things the government hasn't done is been tipping money in to make sure that these remain top quality places to live. So I think everyone accepts that the walk-ups need a bit of work. But to suggest that somehow we've got to give up all of this land and turn all of this area that's currently everyone here's backyard into... 820 new private developments into a dockland style development squished right here in the middle of the Flemington estate is completely reprehensible and shows that it is not about people, it is all about money and developers. Now, we have to send a very, very clear message to the government, right? Very, very clear message. And that is that when there's about 40,000 people on the waiting list, public housing is in crisis. And there hasn't been a new big build of public housing like these since the 1960s. That's what we need, right? That's what we need. We need to build new homes to house the 40,000 people who are currently on the waiting list because it's completely unacceptable that in a wealthy country like Australia, if you find yourself homeless and on the priority category, you could still be waiting a couple of years for a place. That is completely unacceptable. And I reckon... From the people that I've spoken to who live here and who live on um, in other estates around Melbourne, they know because they've got people sleeping on their couches who are waiting, who've been waiting to get a house. They know what the overcrowding is, and they know that despite the government spin, it's not just one single bedroom units. That's the waiting list. We need places for big families as well. There is a huge, huge shortage. And anyone who thinks, oh, all of a sudden we're going to magically going to be able to find three- and four-bedroom places somewhere else is kidding themselves because they just don't exist and we need to build more of them. But we need to be sending a very, very clear message to the government that this is not on, right? This is not on. Now, it's worth remembering that a couple of years ago, the Liberal government tried this on at Fitzroy. They tried this on at Fitzroy, at the Atherton Gardens, and they said, all of that land along Gertrude Street, they said, we want to sell that off and build private development on it. And the community came together at meetings like this, and meeting after meeting, and we fought them off and we stopped them. And that is still now public housing backyard in Atherton Gardens, right? and we're hearing we're hearing at Ascot Vale for example we've we've just heard from Ascot Vale and we haven't been able to get it confirmed with the government because the government's not telling us anything but residents at Ascot Vale have told us that they've been told by the department oh, actually your project's been put on hold for a couple of years because the community doesn't want it right so the message is starting to get through That's not what they're the, me. well there you go some people at As- this is the this is the thing some people at Ascot Vale are being told something completely different right? And this is, this is another reason that this is unacceptable. When you're dealing with people's lives, you can't just hold this over, like a sword over people's head and say, you might be moving out or you might not. The consultation on this has been completely non-existent. And when I was in the planning tribunal, they said, oh, we've already had three rounds of consultation. Well, that's bullshit. I'm sorry, that is absolute bullshit. Because I've been at public meetings here that we've held where people have heard about this from the first time, from us and from concerned citizens, not from the government. And when you're dealing with whether or not kids are going to be able to finish their primary school where they are at the moment, you shouldn't have to rely on second-hand rumours. People deserve the right to be told the truth. And they're not being told it at the moment. People are being treated like mushrooms. And we've got to stop that. But we fought it off before. And there's question marks about what's going on at other places. And the good news is this. The good news is this. This is a Labor government that's meant to care about people. This is a Labor government that is signing up to Liberal policy and saying we're going to sell off public land for private housing. And they didn't expect this backlash. right? They didn't expect the backlash. And there's an election coming up next year. And to give you, just as an insider, trade secret, politicians don't like losing their seats, right? Right? And the state government is on a very thin majority. And our job, all of our collective job, is to say we are not going to be quiet. We are going to make this a top-order issue in the election. And we are going to cause you so much grief that you're just going to have to back off if you want to win the election, right?
5: Hi, I'm Aaron and you're listening to 3CR. And
0: that was Adam Band. He was at the Public Housing Defence Committee event at Debney Park, F- uh, Flemington, on Saturday the 15th. Now, the next rally, I've had an update. It's actually going to be on the 11th of November, which is Remembrance Day, which is perfect, really, the 11th of November. Uh at 1pm at the Walker Street Estate, Northcote. Northcote, of course, is in the midst of a uh, potential uh, a by-election uh, and the uh, battle is, of course, between the Greens and Labor. So, of course, it's a perfect place for public housing to become centre stage. On the line, we have Don Donald Sutherland. G'day, Don. How are you?
12: Uh, g'day. I'm very well, thank you, Annie. How are you and... Hello to all of your listeners.
0: There's uh, been a uh, bent, amazing week, in fact, uh, in relation to politics and industrial relations in this country, has just passed.
12: It certainly has been. It started in a uh, with the expectation that there would be maybe some incremental learning about what was really going on inside the Building and Construction Industry Commission with the uh, resignation of the Chief Legal Advisor.
0: Yes, that's right.
12: Following the uh, resignation of the Chief Commissioner, Nigel Hatchkiss, because he had been breaking the laws that he was supposed to be upholding. So... um, that, that and that didn't seem as though it
0: was going to be a major breakthrough. But yeah, the, Mr. Uh, Su- Southern apparently it all, Don. It all blew well up. Yeah, yeah. Apparently Don, uh, he uh, the uh, the legal man, uh, Mr. Souther, uh wanted to make it clear that he'd resigned and. Uh, Michaela Cash, in her now-established pattern, was saying, oh, no, no, that hasn't happened, there's no problems at the ABCC, and he had to put out a press release to confirm that, indeed, on the 15th of October, he had distanced himself from the organisation because, of course, it impinges on his uh, professional uh, requirements as a lawyer. And there are some
12: of us. Were expecting that we would learn more about that at the Senate Estimates Committee on Wednesday morning, and um, I was looking forward to Doug Cameron's exploration of those issues. But then something entirely different happened on Tuesday afternoon with the police raids.
0: Yeah, on his, the, eight, the
12: yeah, tram workers union.
0: That's right. Yeah. And what now, I think. Michaela Cash, um, I was just going to say, Michaela Cash wants us all to believe, because apparently we're all stupid, that her department had no uh, hand in uh, getting the media to be there before the police turned up, because of course, there's no, uh, what was the point of having a police raid if you didn't have the media there to report it?
12: Well, uh, there are so many things that she is saying that are just um, unbelievable and uh, that, that, that became very apparent all through Wednesday in the Senate estimates. I think the big thing here is that uh, the very serious mistakes she has made uh, represent a massive setback for employers. They are the co-architects and primary drivers through their employer organisations of the architecture of this government's suite of new laws that are intended to undermine uh, the capacity of workers to be able to deal with any basis of power with their employers, especially through their membership of unions. Um, The the laws that uh, are being driven by Michaela Cash, who was regarded as as their champion by the employer organisations, are all intended to enable greater control for employers uh, over their workforces because they eat into the influence of union membership and union organisations as the most important mechanism for workers to uh, stand up
0: Now, Don, let's go to that point about her being the champion. Now, uh, the week before, the uh, government failed to pass legislation that was further attacks on unions, uh, and then all of a sudden the uh, spotlight is taken off their lack of success to this further attack on unions and a thinly disguised attack on Bill Shorten, who comes from, who's a creature of the Australian uh, Workers' Union. uh,
12: Yes, you are correct. Um, What you were talking about there is the uh, uh, so-called Ensuring Integrity Bill, which we discussed last time we were together. Now, the Ensuring Integrity Bill was, in fact, rejected, Uh, about two weeks ago, but it was due to be returned to the Senate by uh, uh, Michaela Cash for the November sitting in which she was going to make another attempt to have this bill uh, uh, accepted. Now, remember what it was all about. It was all about enabling uh, employer organisations, employers and government people to be able to... Uh, through the Registered Organisations Commission, to be able to interfere in the democratic rights of union members to make decisions about things like amalgamations and other matters. In other words, to interfere with the operation of the rules that have been already accepted by the Fair Work Commission to register the union, to be able to interfere with those not just not just union members. So, it's got nothing to do with union members having more democratic influence in their union, but enabling outsiders, people who are not members of the union, like employers and ministers and parliamentarians, to interfere with the decision making that is properly the reserve of union members through the structure of their rules. Isn't that so that's disgraceful? What the Integrity bill. Yeah, that's well,
0: it's disgraceful.
12: Well, I think it gets worse. What we have to understand is that that particular bill is part of a a whole architecture of changes to workplace and industrial rules that this government is pursuing. They have learned their lesson from their defeat back in 2007 when the grassroots initiated Your Rights at Work campaign defeated the work choices laws of the Howard government that were also about the same thing, destroying workers' capacity to be able to defend themselves and advance their interests, particularly through union membership, except that Howard and his mates made the big mistake of a total attack in one set of legislation. This approach, employed by this government, and being driven uh, by uh, Michaela Cash as the person with prime responsibility is, is to you, coin a hackney trade, like a death with a thousand cuts. So you have the Royal Commission investigation, which was a total failure in being able to undermine uh, or establish any proof of wrongdoing on the part of, Bill Shorten when he was an official in the AWU,
0: but a perfect publicity uh, campaign that's anti-union.
12: Yes, because you know behind it all was, of course, some real corruption in the health services union that had to be cleaned up. The second, the second part of it is uh, the uh, the changes post the last election. Remember that the last election was triggered by the government's inability to get through the Senate. The changes to the, Australia, the, the, the law regarding uh, the industrial police force targeting <coughs> construction workers, uh, and also the, their desire through the Registered Organisations Commission Bill to spread that industrial police force so that it would be available to all unions. Now that triggered the federal election. They During the federal election, They did not raise those issues once. The federal election was fought substantially on several other big issues. So the thing that triggered the federal election, the Turnbull Turnbull Liberal National Party did not have the courage to actually campaign on. Then we come to, therefore, post-election, this ensuring integrity bill that we've been talking about. On top of that, you have a proposed new bill called the Workers' Benefits Bill, which is being promoted by the Australian Industry Group and is intended to destroy the capacity of unions to develop and operate income protection insurance schemes for workers, which have been common now for 20 years and which were a product of employers going bust and not being able, and, and refusing to pay workers' entitlements. God, it's hard, it's it's hard,
0: it's hard to that. feel any sympathy for the boss class.
12: Well, uh, of course, being an employer is not easy, and, you know, we have to have some sympathy for them at some stage. Well, that's a theory anyway. <laughs> yeah,
0: you, right. <laughs> oh, you know, <laughs> hey, before before we leave the AWU uh. uh, uh because there were several things uh, the government was very active in its use of the Australian Federal Police over this week. One was uh, when they went to the AWU, uh, uh, I don't know if people have realised, but uh, it was all about apparently a, uh, a donation to get up. And now GetUp is also a thorn in the side of the Turnbull government or the neoliberal factions, right-wing factions of this country, uh, because they're actually quite effective. But they find the government's finding it really difficult to actually, they're a slippery fish. They're, they're finding it really difficult to actually land a punch on GetUp. So I presume they're trying to connect GetUp with, Union, all the vast level of uh, anti-union publicity that the government and the right-wing reactionary mainstream media have been uh, beating up over the time. Do you think that's what's the, on their agenda?
12: Uh, yes, it is. And it, it, what it's all about there is uh, to... Uh, they're trying to establish that GetUp is not an independent uh, people's organisation. They're trying to establish, unlike
0: the they Liberal Party. Uh,
12: well, they're trying. Well, they're trying to say that it is not an independent people's organisation, but in fact directly connected to the Australian Labor Party, and that has implications. And I'm by no means an expert to be able to comment any further on this. That has implications for the uh, for a number of uh, uh, governance uh, issues for. Uh, get up, that go to its future effectiveness.
0: Well, that's interesting because like because many of the campaigns that they have launched have actually been, uh, environmental campaigns in particular, uh, have, uh, have no... They don't favour Labor.
12: No, well, uh, sometimes they do and sometimes they don't. I mean, yeah, it's don't neither if, here nor there. Your point is correct. You only have to look at... Um, what GetUp is trying to do with the campaign against the Adani coal mine, you'd hardly say that was a pro-Labour campaign, given the way in which the Queensland government is behaving on that. Exactly. Um, So your point is exactly right. Um,
0: And I know this isn't about Labour issues, but uh, the AFP actually... Was employed to do a raid on the ABC offices in Brisbane over uh, something to do with uh, uh, New- uh, Newman's uh, government. Some papers that obviously were embarrassing to the LMP. Uh, yes,
12: well, I, I'm, I'm not recalling. I'm recalling. I'm recalling that now, but not any details. No, 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 it's not details. It's just that uh, yeah.
0: the government using the AP, uh, the Australian Federal Police. As a political tool, is extremely worrying.
12: Yes, yes. I think that, and I think that um, uh, this whole fiasco puts a question mark over that. And I, and this goes to, um, uh, I think, in a sense, it's one of those unanswered questions that we're going to learn about over the next few weeks. There are, in fact, many unanswered questions. That's the other thing about all of this. And they're partly, that, the fact that there are still so many unanswered questions about this fiasco, this gross um, abuse of, uh, of parliamentary power by the minister, um, is that she has taken flight to uh, Western Australia simultaneously When we look at the, federal, the role of the federal police, they are a part, and I'm going to use this word architecture again, they are one element of a whole architecture of players that are seeking and are working and are enabled to work together to destroy with Michaela Cash, making sure and driving through the changes that established the Registrant Organisation Commission about six months ago, that installs a Mr Mark Bilecki as the Chief Commissioner, that enables that Commissioner to be able to investigate a union has what he believes are reasonable grounds to do so he then goes to, and in this case in this case the reasonable grounds we are led to believe was an anonymous phone call
0: oh for goodness sake
12: so the anonymous phone call as a reasonable ground is taken to a magistrate
3: oh unbelievable
12: and the magistrate who one would have thought would have been interested to know what the reasonable grounds might do and might have rung an alarm bell on learning that it was an anonymous phone call nevertheless doesn't do that and approves the warrant for the Australian Federal Police.
3: Oh, The don't.
12: Australian Federal Police swing in the gear and someone tells the mainstream media, especially, of course, the Australian. The Australian then continues its regular pattern of misreporting what is happening. For example, for example... It says that one motive uh, for uh, the police raid and for the reference and so on, all the way through, has been that the Australian Workers Union. According to Mr. Bilecki, had not uh, respond, uh, agreed to providing the documents that he, Mr. Bilecki, as the as the commissioner, was requesting.
0: Which isn't true.
3: Mm. in the
12: Senate estimates when he said that the AWU had not provided documents on request, he got it mixed up with something else and he was wrong. They hadn't done that at yeah, all. Yeah,
0: no, it's right, but because apparently it was in the hands of the Royal Commission and apparently they handed the documents to the Federal Police when they came to the door.
12: Um, yeah, well, I'm, I, if that, I'm not aware of that particular detail. But that's <laughs> well, a, that's what a, I've a, been a, told. Consistent with what the National Security, the Australian has been saying.
0: Yeah, right. So we'll we we, we have to finish, Don. I'm sorry. We have to well, finish.
12: Well, my main point there is to explain that there is a whole architecture of various elements of government and um, state, uh, uh, state organisations that are enabled by uh, cash and the government to be able to work together to attack workers. And that the strategy they're using is very different. But it provides, in the light of the huge mistake that Cash and his staff and the Prime Minister have made, um, because we have to wonder why the Prime Minister did not ask any questions about whether anyone in her office uh, had leaked the information. Probably
0: Uh, because he already knew. But anyway, we better go.
12: We have to go. I'm sorry, go because there's bits and other pieces but thank you very much and I hope everyone is thinking more deeply about what is going on here. It's been very dangerous for workers uh, uh, and uh, thanks for the opportunity to discuss them with you.
11: For one night only the Great Forest National Park is coming alive at Howler, Brunswick October 29th at 7pm. Celebrate our diverse Victorian wilderness through provoking forest projections and performances by Shane Howard, Zach Saber and DJ Dillian Page. All proceeds go towards the Wilderness Society's work on the Great Forest National Park Campaign. Dry, Tickets are just $25 from Moshtix. That's moshtix.com.au. Just search for Howler. So come and enjoy a unique night out and be wilder. Be wilder is a 3CR supporter.
6: This time we'll pass away. This world not be
0: and you're on Solidarity Breakfast with Annie and on the line we've got Kevin. How are you Kevin?
7: I'm good, Annie, and I must apologise to our listener, whom I know is hanging on every word and um, (laughs) hoping to get a coverage of poor Barnacle and poor Fiona's demise yesterday. But uh, we actually recorded this yesterday. We now have a lost recording. So the recording turned Let's out hope to be. The,
0: a, uh, federal police right. don't come in.
7: Well, it, it turned out to be a rehearsal, the recording. Um, but it means that, and I did mention on that, that we actually were recording before the High Court decision. But uh, seeing I'm so bloody lazy on a Saturday morning, I haven't updated. So, in fact, we're still. Uh, but we will cover that in, in next week and we. Promise people we'll cover poor Fiona and poor Barnacle next week, yeah. <laughs> go. So let's go. A, a week solidarity, Bricky team listener, when sadly there's a new long haired commie threat to world capitalism, to the greatest little economic order of them all, the International Monetary Fund. No, no, you didn't miss here, the IMF. To play with one of the U.S. of the U.N. of the U.S. of the world takeovers of our language, it's come out of right field. We can assume U.S. of Big Supremo Donald Trample the poor, and our very own economic guru Scuttlebim Maul Lashson and Big Supremo Malcolm Tunnel Bull and the team would agree the IMF, long a voice for their economic wisdom, a champion of neoliberal globalization, has been captured by the evil commies, the evil unions. Because last week it delivered its periodical overview of world capitalism and iconoclastically One of the great truths of trickle-down economics, they don't trickle down. Worse, and this is where the boardrooms worldwide were scrambling for the smelling salts, its most iconoclastic statement, not only does trickle down, the drops of yellow liquid, the great corporates are good enough to dribble all over us, not trickle down, but the first commandment of neoliberalism, that lower taxes for the filthy rich create jobs, jobs, jobs for the undeserving and bestow riches on all, does not create jobs, 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 does not bestow wealth on all. There is no economy where slashing taxes for the filthy rich has created the result. The filthy rich preach is an irrefutable economic truth. It just apparently makes the filthy rich filthy richer. Who would have thought? This will cause a bit of a rethink among the thousands of homeless and otherwise indigent and poverty-stricken and lower-than-low-paid and unemployed budgets screaming, begging for government to slash taxes on the filthy rich so they, the poverty-stricken, etc., can be better off. Scuttle them and those who know obviously know the IMF report is a commie plot, but somehow the forces of evil have infiltrated the erstwhile reliable. For when our very own More Productivity from Lazy Workers commission delivered its latest report this week and suggested there were higher priorities than tax cuts for the filthy rich, Scuttle them immediately announced the economy must work for people. And the most pressing urgency was... Tax cuts for the filthy rich. Sticking it up the IMF and proving the IMF had been infiltrated and clearly had got it wrong, or, or worse, Christine Lagarde, the wealth and the usual IMF suspects, have been kidnapped and are being held hostage in some dungeon while the evil commie terrorists are writing the reports. Scuttle them and Malcolm had more proof the IMF had been infiltrated when True Blue Aussie was confronted with more uncharacteristic data from the uncharacteristic report that and doesn't this prove just how the IMF has been captured by the forces of evil, that true blue Aussie was leading the world, well, what they call the developed world, in the past 30 years in inequality, in the gap between the filthy rich and those to whom the filthy rich devote their lives. Inequality widening in egalitarian true blue Aussie. Come on! As one of the greatest and deepest thinking true blue Aussies ever born, Leighton Hewitt would say. Why, we've already mentioned how thousands of homeless and otherwise indigent and poverty-stricken and lower-than-low-paid and unemployed budgets are begging for government to slash taxes on the filthy rich so they, the poverty-stricken, etc., can be better off. Would they be pleading for tax cuts for the filthy rich if they thought for one moment there was growing inequality in this country? Indeed, the term growing inequality assumes there is inequality to grow. And if there is, let's hypothetically assume for a moment there is some inequality. If there is, then what's wrong with growth? Scuttle them in the sundry chambers of profits and experts who know lots more about these things than we do tell us growth is the name of the game. Trickle down, raise the boat with the tide. So growth and inequality must be good for the unequal. I agree. Filthy rich spokesperson Rick Bloated agreed. As a representative of one extreme of the unequal, I agree it is good, good, good. Uh, for all of us, Rick, obviously all of us agree. But hang on, hang on. What's all this commotion outside various offices of the all of them along Collins Street? There's tele cameras and reporters and anxious thrusting microphones everywhere. The cliched media throng. Uh, What's going on? We've had a tip-off. The federal coppers are going to raid these offices to seize documents related to political donations to the Institute of Public Very Private Affairs and related caring business class think tanks and lobbyists. Um, When are they due? We've been here three days so far. Maybe the tip-off got it a bit mixed up. But seriously, the law's the law. An unbiased Her Most Gracious Majesty's King, mission established for the worthy purpose of smashing evil, evil unions, recommends establishing another body to execute the worthy purpose which in turn decides the greatest threat to law and order is a political donation or two made 10 years ago by the now Socialist Party leader before he was the now Socialist Party leader, just chosen at random. Well, after forensic study of what the biggest threat to law and order is in this country, random after, without any political interference, for only the most cynical would suggest there's any political interference in the Kanga mission, the new smash the union's regulatory body, or a government that had no idea the coppers were ordered by the the smash-the-union's regulatory body to investigate the leader of the opposition. And the Minister for Caring Business Class Relations, Michaelia Kosh, the workers, assured us she knew absolutely nothing about the whole thing until she saw it on telly that night, meaning she hadn't talked to anyone in her office that whole day or just thought the staff seemed to be making a lot of urgent, frenetic phone calls. Just wish some interviewer or some observer might just ask, how come Makaya's whole office knew all about this raid and she had no idea? Not that we doubt the word of a former partner at Free Kills the Workers, one of the nation's most respected smash-evil unions law firms. Well, only the most cynical, and only the most cynical would suggest there is some connection between the government and its new smash-the-union regulatory body investigating the leader of the opposition as its number one priority. After all, the supremo of that body told a Senate committee they had ordered the coppers to raid... So no one but the entire national media and Macalia's staff, but let's make it clear, not Michaelia, nor Malcolm, nor anyone in the government for that matter knew about it, ordered the coppers to raid based on a core. He was unable to elaborate, but it's obvious that caller would have had no connection whatever to the caring business class government oh and if you're looking for any coverage of this not totally irrelevant item in the Lord Rupert of Whopping Sin try left hand page middle of the book 13 paragraphs but then Lord Rupert is, uh, is on to the big story in the big story placements, a several-years-old road accident involving the partner of the Dan Pejorative State Supremo, whom Lord Rupert so admires, in which, by the way, there's no suggestion she did anything wrong, but it's obviously a big story because it's given big story status in the whopping Sin, forcing Macadia and the government's little problems to a few left-hand page par's. Meanwhile, as Malcolm heads up to the Holy Lands well, the holy land, to worship at the altar of Zion, victims of sexual abuse at a local school, that is local here, are complaining at the failure of the Zion legal system to return the alleged perpetrator, who now, like so many others, plead she is far, far, far too unwell to be extradited, indeed, too unwell even to attend the court for an extradition hearing, have pleaded with Malcolm to plead their case in his discussions with the Zion. On government, I have promised them. Malcolm looked all the statesmen, that I will lick their message on Zion Big Supremo Benjamin Netanyahu Yahoo's boots. Finally, month or so ago, we bemoaned the fact that we were only sharing the World Energy Combustion Award, the biggest polluter, with Turkey. Come on, we exhorted. Surely we can beat Turkey. Let's throw ourselves selflessly into the combustion emission business and do true blue Aussie proud. Elevate us to outright top of the world. Now we learn we're only running second to Indonesia in other people's business on the destroying species on a roll. Again, let's go to work on that one. If the long-haired commie greenies had their way, we'd plenty will go backwards in the species destruction states. One consolation is that we can but hope lots of the uh, true blue Aussie caring corporates and filthy rich are getting filthy richer through making their contribution to Indonesia and other people's business top spot. Although I think the criteria is unfair. The study only looked at destruction since late last century. Surely if it took a different date... Let's say, ooh, let's grab one, 1788, just to grab a date out of the air, out of the then very pure clean air, and I reckon we'd be world champion species destroyer. Still, we're stuck with the guidelines we've got, so whenever we fall upon native indigenous flora or fauna, let's do our bit. Shoot it, stab it, poison it, build it with a shovel, clear it, Cut it down, build over it, turn it into a euphemistically named residential and commercial estate, whack a freeway through it. Endless possibilities, and every little bit helps. Good morning.
6: Hi, I'm Hannah Smiley from
11: WA. When I'm in Melbourne, I listen to 3CR 855 AM Community Radio. You can listen on your digital radio or stream it live and subscribe at 3cr.org.au. Count to ten,
3: start again.
0: Hello Humphrey how are you?
3: I'm
2: very well. I've had a nice few days in Adelaide uh, talking with people over there about Marx and other matters and now we're back to talk to each other about Marx. Oh and, which is uh, really great. Uh, our listeners.
0: Yeah yeah I've been uh, reading your paper and uh, uh, one thing that jumps out is that socialism it's a fight for survival.
2: It surely is that as the survival Well, it's the survival of one class against another. I mean, it's not the survival and the way they like to put it. The boss class like to talk about it's the survival of the human race. Um, The survival of the human race depends upon the outcome of the class struggle. And that's why Marx is absolutely central to the survival of... Well, all those species that um, Kevin's just been talking about.
0: Yeah, and uh, seven issues are key to this, aren't they, to capitalism uh, maintaining its rapacious hold?
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean the, the seven issues you mentioned, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of issues, but we've focused, i focused on seven in in this, well, it's only six and a half thousand words, um... And the first of them is the one we've been just touching on about why capital must plunder the natural world. And that's linked, of course, to why it has to expand in order even to exist as a capitalist system. And it's based, based that on, on wage slavery, which is called free labour. And within that, an issue of great concern to people at the moment is what's going to happen to jobs, and we discussed that under the heading of The Future of Labour Time, um, and we want to point out something we've spoken about um, a couple of times already about last time about why exploitation is not um, confined to those people who work for 7-Eleven or places like that and who pays the ground rent and why crises are of, can be a benefit to the capitalist system, something, of course, that we've been dealing with for many years now as they grapple with the current crisis. So there are the seven big issues that the pamphlet um, wages itself across.
0: It's interesting how you point out, I mean, there's a huge irony in having someone like Andrew Forrest uh, acting as if he is a, uh, some, a defender of uh, you know, getting rid of modern slavery, but uh, he's, as an anti-slavery yep. advocate, uh, it's just turns your stomach, doesn't it?
2: Well, you know, and what, because this is because they never, well, obviously, reasons why free labour is always, you know, they never get round to the question of wage slavery. And this is Marx's, you know, one of the big discoveries in pointing out how what they call free labour is actually wage slavery. And this goes right back, you know, in the 1790s when the anti-slavery campaign got underway in the United Kingdom. The workers said, OK, we're in favour of opposing slavery in the rest of the world, but how about getting rid of wage slavery at home? Mm -hmm. And there was this very strong division within the anti-slavery movement between those who just wanted to get rid of it somewhere else and didn't want to do anything about what was going on at home. And he's kept this going, of course. He's got you know, well, we've got to do this. But now, I mean, people will remember very recently that the magazine, The Monthly, had a feature story about what he actually does to Aborigines here, despite all of the talk about he's you know, providing jobs and is going to do this for Aborigines and that for Aborigines. And um, there's a little, well, a a booklet actually called... um, driving disunity, which looks at the way in which the Business Council have come up with a new plan to control Aboriginal land rights Mm, claims. That's right. Um, And as you say, I mean, these people uh, pretend on the one hand to go and fight the bad things somewhere else. I mean, it's always an easy job, isn't it, to go and say, what's wrong with something that's going on in, say middle of Africa, somewhere where most people don't even quite know where it is on the map than to actually deal with something that's going on in the Kimberleys or in western New South Wales or somewhere like that. Or even just up close,
0: in your own place.
2: Well, even closer to that,
0: yeah. Yeah, Yeah. Now it's it's interesting because it's the weasel words, they're masters of weasel words when you say free labour and uh, the notion of... uh, I love this thing about a monopoly of violence where uh, because we are compelled to sell our labour power in order to exist, we live under a class dictatorship. Our need to sell our capacities is backed up by the capitalist monopoly of violence. Force is raised to the status of law and order.
2: Well, I mean, that is the other side of the Marxist-Leninist analysis of how the world is. And if we're coming up now to the centenary of the Russian Revolution, I mean, that's what they had to fight out there, as to who holds that monopoly of violence. And in the... Well, what becomes the Soviet Union in Tsarist Russia. Of course, the Tsarist forces had lost the monopoly of violence because they'd had to arm their people to go to war so that those troops, when the whole of the Russian system collapsed... The, the the troops still had the guns. So that actually lost that immediate um, total control of, of the means of violence. But in Australia, of course, more than ever, um, people worry about the rise of fascism with small groups jumping up and down the street, whereas what we're looking at is what a Marxist would call the covert dictatorship of the bourgeoisie, which is what we live under all the time. Um, and that we see that being strengthened in all kinds of ways with laws as well. But if you're really worried about where that monopoly of violence looks at, look at the powers that have been given to the police, at the changing ways in which the law has been changed so that the army can intervene in civil affairs in Australia. And it's the power of the state that is the real threat to us. Um, and that state there is to represent the interests of one dominant class. But one has to say, and go back to it always, the state is a site for class conflict. It's one of the areas in which the, you know, the classes fight it out. Um, now, ultimately, of course. As long as the capitalist class control the state, they are not going to lose control of everything in it. But what we can get out of it, if we push, when the class is strong, when the working class is strong, we can hold them back and we can win things, um, and they have to compromise. Uh, So everywhere, it is an issue of the class struggle and the relative strength of the two classes within there. And part of the problem, you know, as we all see in the last 30 years and a bit more, for a whole range of reasons, some of them because of the Labour lieutenants of capital like Bill Shorten and Gillard and Rudd and those people, the class, and going back to Hawke and Keating, the working class has been seriously weakened because of this. Uh, and it has to be rebuilt. And understanding the Marxist analysis of capitalism, which is what this little pamphlet, makes a contribution towards, is an essential part of rebuilding the strength of the working class in Australia.
0: Now, it's interesting that uh, I think it's uh, a belief by uh, the majority that uh, this system, the capitalist system, provides housing, education uh, and food, basically, uh, and one of the things about Marx was his brilliance was uh, to point out that these, uh, this is illusory, isn't it? Uh, that's not the intention yeah. of capitalism at all.
2: Well, when there's a difference within capital between the intention of each individual capitalist, which is to make a lot of money <laughs> for themselves, um for their corporations, really, because we're past the stage in which individual capitalists are, you know, are the big players in this. It all has to work out through gigantic global corporations and the banks that finance them. Um, and what the system has to do, because even they are victims, if you like, of the logic, the illogic of the capitalist system, which has to expand. And it is not the prime task of the capitalist system to make the workers happy. Um, when we get better housing, when we get um, you know better quality food, um, when we get better education and health systems, this is because of the class struggle. This is because of what we fought. To get from them. Um, Now, they have a certain interest, of course, in the level of our education. You know, the kind of education we get. And as the system has developed, it's required different kinds of workers um, who have different kinds of skills. And we see that very much today in the way in which, yet again, the education system has been turned into a kind of form of technical instruction. And the days in which... Um, from you know, the '60s onwards with the great revolutions movements, then we had a period again in which we could talk about more education going on in the schools and the universities. When people were indeed using the you know the deep meaning of education, people were being led. Or, or leading themselves and each other towards a better understanding of the world. None of that now gets you any points in the NAPLAN or university entrance and the stories one hears, as you know.
5: Yeah, it's
0: disgusting. Um, I, 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 I'm disgusted. You disgusting. know, what's
2: going on in every level of education. Yeah, it's disgusting. Well, edu- the so-called education system. Yeah. Um, you know, I, mean, I read good article only last night. I mean, Marx talks about the... Um, the tendency of the law of the rate of profit to fall. But this article from the 1970s was pointing to, are we facing a a declining rate of intelligence? And (laughs) what are the needs of capital in that regard? Um, And intelligence, I mean, if you think of intelligence as a critical analysis, um, which involves people from their very earliest years participating in art and music, uh, science, all of those things as a discovery process. Well all of that 's gone you get i mean you actually lose points today if if you 've got an arts program in your school if you 've got a library um, all of these things you 're not getting you 're not getting any points for that so that yes, they do have to provide education they 've got to, you know, the system has to produce enough food, so we 've got the energy to go and work for them the next day but that 's what they want out of us I and mean, we want a, a different balance of all of those things and a different quality in each of them it's not just enough to get enough you we know, raw calories into us we we also have to struggle for the kind of food that we're getting because otherwise you know we see the kind of diseases that you know what i refer to as the poisonous food industry you know um, most of the stuff you know i mean i Often suggested that what we need in the country is to begin by putting a crime scene around every processed food aisle in every supermarket <laughs> in the country. That would be a start.
0: Yeah, I think you're exactly right. The other one, the other thing that's fascinating Any- is oh, sorry. I, I, I was just going to. No, no, you go on. I, I, I was going to say that uh, it's uh, reading your pamphlet. It struck me. It struck me very strongly that the anti-fracking campaign is a. Uh, an absolute attack on the capitalist system.
2: Well, indeed it is. Uh, you know, the ways in which capital has to, you know, as we say to begin with, I mean, the great distinguishing feature of a capitalist system over you know, any kind of slave system or any kind of feudal system uh, that we've had before is that in order to exist, it has to expand. And it expands in a number of ways. Uh, Usually it manages to do all of them at the one time, but it doesn't have to. What it has to do is to find new ways to add more value to the system. And in doing that, it has to find new natural resources to operate on. And if you restrict that and uh, if you control... As, you know I mean, it's an intriguing fact in Australia that we do have a piece of legislation you know the the assumption here is that what is under the ground technically belongs to the crown
0: yeah isn't that't that, a, isn't that take a, it, whether, that's the the basic swindle isn't it
2: well i mean it's it's well, it goes around. How you then deal with that because I mean, the old argument was well, if, you know, I mean, this wasn't true in England everywhere. I mean, it, it's something that, you know, that has come here um, and that that. What was under the? I mean, there's been a fight um, in South Australia where I've just been talking over there. When the first arrivals came, the people who had the money and the capital, they found lead and zinc, and then they found copper, and that was their main source of income. And they made very clear because they controlled. I mean, you know, they controlled the state, well, the colonial apparatus over there, shall we say, that they did not have to pay royalties that they denied the notion that what was under the ground belonged to the state organisation, belonged technically to the Crown. Now, in, after 40 years, the South Australian um, government won that back, and so that you know, they changed the law again, so that you did have to pay some royalties. And in a sense, this is what the, you know, the excess profits tax that they were going to try and put on um, the you know, the, the iron ore miners and the coal miners in Australia um, so technically we've got this thing that says if it's under the ground it belongs to the general public i.e. through the crown and how much you pay for that and what we've got to be careful about with the anti-fracking campaign is not to give rise and this is one of the reasons why they've been more successful in the United States where that rule doesn't apply as widespread, so they've been able to come along and get people to, to, to sign up to, to be able to sell off what's under the ground. Here, there's this complicated element where the state, as we've seen, if there's a big enough campaign like in New South Wales and Victoria, it wouldn't have happened again. It's all a matter of the level of struggle the people have been able to push back against them and, and then get the state apparatuses to come down and say, oh, no, we actually control this and we're not going to let you do it. So you need both of those things in a capitalist society. You need enough mass pressure, which we've seen, has been organised, it's been a great campaign, bringing all sorts of people together uh, to fight against it. And then that pressure means that there's enough push to make the state government's politically fearful, and so they say, no, 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 we're not going to allow you to do this. And of course, there's an enormous campaign to push back in the opposite direction. But as you said at the beginning, this is because the nature of capital has to find new ways to expand. And it does that in all kinds of areas. We see it, to jump in a completely different direction, into the what is now called the Disability Insurance Scheme, that what used to be services provided to people by government instrumentalities is all been put out to the corporates. And I've said many times on the program before, we must never use the word, it's been privatized. There's nothing private about this.
12: No, it is that's corporate. it's and corporate.
2: It's corporate. And when we, you know, I mean, private, you're talking about weasel words. Private is one of the great successes as a weasel word. Um, you know, they say, oh, you know, that, you know we've got to privatise. It It makes it sound warm and cuddly, as if it's going to a, a private person, you know, as if, you know, the banks or... Yeah, um, it's on our side. ...the Commonwealth Bank or the... You know, it's sort of, well, it's kind of small and, um, and intimate in some kind of
0: yeah, way. Yeah, and cuddly. Um,
2: whereas if you, think, if you think we've sold it to the global corporates, oh, people think no, no, that's not what I had in mind at all. So... All of these words, we have to constantly think about why they're asking us to use words like, um, you know, like, you know th- th- that we're going to privatise education. We're going to privatise, you know, well, the great scandal there, of course, is private schools, yeah. independent schools. I mean, Fine. Let's have private schools. Let's have independent but schools. Let them pay for and it. Let them pay for themselves
7: completely.
11: That's right. Let
2: them be not dependent on the taxpayer. That's just a lie to say that these non-government schools. I mean, it's it's a mouthful, but what we have to try and say is tax-subsidised non-government schools, because that's the truth of really what they are. But lies in there, they come up with it. I mean, the great one, of course, was in the early 40s when they invented the phrase free enterprise,
3: because
2: capitalism was so on the nose that you know after two world wars fascism and a depression that they had to come up with a new brand and they road tested it they spent 2 million dollars in the early 40s think how much money that was mm. and they got you know marketers and they came up with it hence we've got we don't live under capitalism we live under free enterprise but what the pamphlet and what Marx shows us 150 years ago and those basic laws are still there We still live under a capitalist system which, in order to exist, has to expand, and it can expand only by taking the surplus value that we wage slaves are forced to produce for it.
0: We'll have to leave you there. Thank you very much, we Humphrey. Have to leave
2: us there. Well, the pamphlet's around. Yep. Uh, it's online. It's on the CPAML site. It's on the surplus value site, and the physical object, um, which I th- hope you got a copy of yep. in the post. Did you?
11: Yes,
0: I did, good, and I've that's read it.
2: Okay. Can't you tell uh, I've read it? Good. Yeah, I know you have. I'm just saying other people can read it as well. We can all join in the pleasure thereof. But it's a conversation. We want to hear back people saying, what do you think? How can we make it better? Are there are there ways and things that you know that, that we can get this message across? Yeah, stand, in many back, ways stand up and
0: fight back.
2: And it's available to anyone. You want to take a bit of it and reproduce it? Don't ask, just do it.
0: Okay, thanks, mate.
2: Well, we're talking four weeks, Annie. Yep, bye. Fabulous.
0: Bob. That was Humphrey McQueen. And we've come to the end of the show. We uh, went to Debney Park, uh, the uh, public, Save Public Housing uh, rally, 15th of October. Don't forget the next one is November the 11th, 1 o'clock at the Walker Estate in Northcote. The uh, we talked about the uh, incredible things that have been happening uh, around uh, Michaela Cash, how she's hanging on by her fingernails. It's amazing. It reminded me of a, a saying that I read recently about uh, uh, aristocrats in England. What was it? Uh, uh, don't apologise and don't explain. <laughs> and uh, we just talked to Humphrey about uh, Marx and uh, our- ourselves and how we need to uh, stand up and fight back. Uh, we're going to go out with uh, the other side, the Orb Weavers. And uh, coming up next is Asia Pacific Currents.
3: Sap away, soft wood, shedding spine. You'll take me to the other side.